Chapter 15, The Master Songman, an Australian koan. In Aramland, a singer named, excuse me, singer named Marlung was sleeping one night. As he was dreaming, a master songman came from long ago, came to him and said, wake up, I have a song to teach you. So Marlung woke up and the master taught him the song. Then Marlung went back to sleep and forgot the song. The next day, a visitor said he would like to hear the song. So that night, Marlung dreamed again, and it happened the same way. The master came into his dream and woke him and taught him the song, and again he fell asleep afterward. But this time, in the morning, he remembered the song. Now here is the question. Marlung knew the difference between dream and waking. So was the master songman really there or not? So what questions do you have? One question I always have is how did this become a koan? Well, in Australia, the the dream the dream world and the waking world is often contact with the dreaming world is often used in stories to teach. So I can see this being an Australian koan because it has a lot of similarities to the ones we have been looking at. Um, and it asks that question about the difference between the spiritual world and the real world, or is there a difference? So my thought. If um, sort of in keeping with the idea that koans are about relationships, um, the difference between the one sleeping and awaking and the second sleeping and awaking is that there's the second time there's a, a knowledge of the need to share the story or the song. There's an incentive. Is that what you're saying? Um, incentive isn't the word I would choose. I think I see it more relationally. Do you have someone to do it for? Yes. And there's sort of a, there's a thread, there's a continuity, there's a, there's a passing along. I can't think of the word I want, but it's more about relationships than about uh, incentive sort of to me kind of implies a personal uh, something or other. It, it feels a little different. There's different levels of enlightenment and different levels of Bodhisattva. I think we mentioned that before. And I'm just curious if if he gets into that, that this isn't about dreaming, but it's, a, or the idea of being awake is also being aware of being enlightened, isn't it? So I don't know if he's gonna go there, but I, can, I went there. Serenity? Um, I see a sort of, um uh dramatization of where does creativity come from because if it comes from that inner place where you have connection with whatever your muse is that this is how it manifests into our waking world so maybe it's this process of creativity 
that's being shown. Yeah, where do you go when you, you know, to get inspired? Yeah. Well, I wonder if because the visitor wanted to know the song, if that was the inspiration to bring it back, right? So he went and heard the song in his sleep and presumably enjoyed it, but he didn't feel a need to, to bring it back with him until someone asked, until he told about it and someone asked him to. And then he felt the need to bring it back. It sure matters if someone cares, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Someone wants to <laughs> hear your song. Malin? I just thought about what is present. Like when, once in the story, the, um, he forgot the song and, and the song was not present and the second time it was. And I also was thinking about We have talked about that in the past, like what is reality and what is dream in which we are living in. The visitor could have even been himself being more in a state of more awareness. Good mm -hmm. Cody, you're back. I am ready. All right. Sorry about that. Are you dreaming or are you awake? <laughs> Probably a little bit of both. I'm tired. Yeah. I've been working in Austin. You want to start, Cody? Yeah, start. Finding your song. <clears throat> I have begun when I'm weary and can't decide the answer to a bewildering question. To ask my dead friends for their opinion and the answer is often immediate and clear. Marie Howie. If you ask whether you are awake or dreaming, the question itself makes life more interesting and resonant. A lot of things we might do be like finding a Song to sing in a dream. If you want to solve a problem, your situation could be like the dreamers in the koan. You don't have the song, and what's more, you are asleep. It all seems impossible. Then you notice something odd, and it makes you curious. There's an air of the uncanny and perhaps of danger. But you sense an opening, and it makes you happy. This noticing is a kind of involuntary reaching out. And when you reach out like this, without thought, your hand lights upon something. It turns out to be your song. Oh, I'm next. A song is a different way of communicating than say a memo. With our interesting problems, what about global warming? Should I get a divorce? How can I find a new job? It's often not clear even where to begin. Problems start out looking to be either A or B and neither seems desirable. But if you see the problem from the backside or at another level, it may not be a problem anymore. That move is like finding a song. A song could also be the idea of a book, a solar energy panel, a way of helping a child in trouble. Anyway, anything that you might want to bring into the world. So I always notice in, in the koans how there's things that I'm not aware 
aware of and then I am. And, you know, what he's bringing up here is that it wasn't just any dream, but it was a song. That seems significant, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, when it's talking here about the special nature of, of one song, you know, artists um, like to talk about having a voice. Uh, you know, what is their song? Like you have one song in your life. What is it that you're really trying to say? I think Melissa's next. Yes. We don't expect the answers to our questions to come out of nothing. However, there might be the that might be the only place a solution can come from. You start by not knowing, not knowing how or what or why or who, until that seems to be quite an acceptable place to spend some time, the time in. Then the strange thing that is that, and the strange thing is that if you reach out your hand, what you need might be there. The strangeness is at the same time encouraging and most disturbing. Cause, well, should I go on? Cause, unravel, unravel the world that we have taught, taught up. And it's, it is a, how do you say that? It's unraveling or unravel. Unravel, thank you. It's like if you had a ball of thread, you know, and you. Mm -hmm. And it is this unraveling that makes it possible for a different world to appear. In the unraveled, unmade world, it is not necessary to make yourself small in order to survive. It is fine if you forget the song that was given to you. You will remember it in the next night. And if not the next night, then the next. And if not, then, well, eventually. Error might not be a mistake. The song might even be improving while you forget it. The world's generosity is robust and persistent. I really love the how forgiving and gentle that is. And the, the song might be even forgive, uh, improving while you forget it. It's really beautiful. And we know our memory changes mm-hmm. and also becomes less accurate mm-hmm. with time. Which might be more accurate in a way, right? You know what I mean? In the sense that it really gets to the bottom of things rather than to the the superficial. Mm. Like I worked so hard, my father gave me a quarter. And then years later, you might think of it as a dollar, which might be more accurate. Not that that was the amount of money he gave you, but because... Um, it was, it seemed like such a big amount or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a good example. The koan. Yes. The master songman. In a place called Barunga in the Northern Territory of Australia, there was a sim- singer named Marolong. He took dance troops around to traditional places. The ghost of a master songman named Balinjuri and a bird, good Lord, I get all these names, and a bird called Bungriji Bungriji or something, gave Maralong his songs. The master songman lived so long ago that nothing of his life is known. In the outback, you see mysterious moving lights will-o'-the-wisps called mimin. They are thought of as spirit lights and have their own creation stories and dreaming, but are considered to be dangerous. 
You're muted, uh, Sir Serenity. So sorry. One night, Maralung was sleeping, watching a Min Min light. The light was blue and green and white and fell down across the sky from west to east. Battling Jiri and the bird, Bungridij, Bungridij, appeared and set off after it. They followed the light and got a song there, and then they came into the camp where Marilung was sleeping. Balan Jiri said, get up, I have a song to teach you. The dreamer woke up and the master taught him the song. The bird sang too. The song was in the ghost language so humans could sing it, but only spirits could understand it. Marilung told the story. Do you want me to continue or you want sure. to? Sure, yes. He got those, what do you call them? Korobori sticks. They just appeared there. There were these enormous Korobori sticks. Oh ho, fuck me dead, they were huge. That didgeridoo player, he sat down from about as far as me as that bloody chair. Balanjiri called the digidi didgeridoo player son. It wasn't a short digidi. Do. It was enormous, and he played that digidiri do right there for me. Don't lose this song. You keep this one, the old song man, said the old song man. I sang this song for you. It's yours. He spoke kindly like that. All right. I think this didgeridoo. is. It's a didgeridoo. I know it's a horror word. I think, Serenity, I think this is still part of the story. Okay. okay, you've got to remember it properly, this good song, this Min Min Light of yours. He went back and I continued to sing after he'd left. But fucking silly bugger, I fell asleep. But don't you worry, I'll get it. Maybe one, maybe two, three, four, five. If he shows me six, seven, eight, nine, that's it. So the next night, Marilung dreamed again, and it happened the same way. And again, the master and the bird came into his dream and woke him and sang for him, and he fell asleep afterward. But this time in the morning, he remembered the song. Now, here is the no. question. Marilung knew the difference between dream and waking. So was the master song really there or not? <coughs> Working with the koan. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Cody. This is a, this is a different. Ah, okay. Never mind. I'm so sorry. This does. Okay. Sorry. But what about this question? Was the master songman really there or not? I suppose it it depends on your definition of really there. there. <laughs> and and if he was really there in the dream, was he not really there? He was giving he was giving um I don't want to say information, but he he was giving something and that was still there when he woke up. Michelangelo claimed that the that the uh, figure was inside of the of the marble, and that it just released him. Was this a dream of his before he carved it out? Hmm. Of course, he was really there when you're in the dream. You're in the dream. When you're in the not dream, you're in the not dream. Okay. okay working with the koan. When you need something and you don't quite know what you need, you can get more than you have asked for and be drawn into a larger, stranger world. The men men lights are dangerous. The bird and the ghost go to the place where there might be demons. But that's where you have to go to get a song. To a place that is beyond what you have ever known before. That's why the song 
sticks that keep the dance rhythm are enormous. And the didgeridoo is too. The things to do with the song are huge. The way everything is huge in Rabelais, the way there are giants in Grimm, and the way people are especially fierce in the manga tales in which ghosts and demons mix with the living. The master songman and the bird together take risks to aid the living singer. That danger and weirdness might be good for our lives. For a long time, I felt cut off from the world, a billiard ball in a Cartesian space and a gulf separated me from the fish, animals, trees, and people. My mind was not content or whole. There were symptoms such as having more thoughts than I could possibly use at any moment and clumsiness with people. But probably the main symptom was of being shut out of the magic in things. I worried at the problem, studying animals and plants and noticing that all the steps I took did not help. Then one day the gap wasn't there anymore. After the gap disappeared, I could let a situation tell me what it was about. <laughs> let people reveal themselves to me without finding a problem. Sometimes wholeness is just given. It has to be given actually because effort leads to effort, not to wholeness. That's interesting. Hmm. So where does wholeness come from? Well, that's one of the great questions. Where do we come from? Where does the universe come from? A ghost and a bird got it from the min, min lights. Marilyn's story was told to me by a musicologist from Sydney University, Alan Merritt, when he came to a retreat in the bush at, at Grerich's Run outside of Sydney. I taught there regularly for about 12 years, and during the 80s and 90s, Alan knew about Zen and Japanese music, but had been studying the music in the Northern Territory, and he used to play the didgeridoo at the end of retreats. He recorded some of Marlung's songs, and they were on the web. The song called Min Min Light, Marlung spoke two Aboriginal languages, and Alan talked with him in Pidgin, which was his third language. As I see, the world arrives out of what is unknown and unimagined. Everything just appears as it is coming toward us. It is a gift, not a product, and it is, and it stumbles over us, crashes into us, or comes to fetch us. I suppose it helps to show up without much going on in our minds. That's the discipline, the bit about not having much going on in our minds. It might be more accurate to say that it's not about whether, whether there is something in the mind, but about whether we automatically believe our thoughts. However, having less going on in the mind helps us to be curious about our thoughts and to see the dreamlike nature of what we usually think is important. It's in the nature of imprisonment to believe that we are our thoughts. When we don't, free, when we don't freedom seems to have already arrived. I think it's when we don't. Is that what you said? Don't remember. Do, not done, but don't. So when we don't believe mm -hmm. our thoughts, I get it's to believe that they are our thoughts. 
when we, we don't, don't believe that we are our thoughts when we don't believe that we are our thoughts freedom mm -hmm. seems to have already arrived it's the nature of imprisonment to believe that we are our thoughts when we don't freedom seems to have already arrived mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right thanks For Alan, the musicologist, what came to fetch him was the question, since Maralung knew the difference between waking and dreaming, was the ancient songman really there or not? I think we pretty much have to accept the form in which a question comes to us. Then we have to stay with the question. Any question that arises will open into others. A friend living in Lucca in Tuscan, Tuscany, faced with the strangeness of the beliefs in miracles, the saint whose body never decayed, and the enormous slab of marble dragged up from the sea by two oxen, asked the same question. Is this real? The koan, no, asks about human nature, <coughs> and whether it is the same as a dog's whether we have a share in the mystery of life, a variant of the same question. Whenever I really take on a question of this kind, it looks like a wall at first, but it turns out to have more interesting possibilities than I first thought. There is often something humbling about realizing this, the shallowness of my initial reaction. The wall usually turns out to be a gate. Most of the time, there is a gap between the life we know is possible and the one we live. That gap appears as restlessness, pain, longing, fear, irredeemable loneliness, your skin crawling, some uncomfortable state. The Cohen's job is to take you across any gap between yourself and your life. It's not something to make sense of any more than a poem or a piece of music would be. You can't set out to get a song, nevertheless. Nevertheless, a song might come to you. Here's a story about how, like Balanjari, walking the sleeper, the world can come to fetch us and take us across this gap. Nancy Farmer is a children's novelist. When she told me this story, she was on her way to Germany to accept an award for one of her books. It turned out not to be a plaque or scroll, but a shining metal sculpture. Brancusi, like, and dramatically incomprehensible, incomprehensible. She wasn't always a novelist, though. But before the writing and the awards, she was a freelance scientist working for corporations. Then her employer at the time changed her job description so that it included travel. Since she had a young child, this didn't seem like a good idea. So she realized that she needed another job. We had no idea what she could do, but she had the sense that she was open to changing her life completely. There isn't really a clear path to changing your life completely. So she just more or less understood that it was a possibility and went on with her routine. One evening she was reading a book, a story for older children, when an image struck her forcibly. That image, the image that inspired her was of a small boy about her son's age at the time, about to walk across a frozen pond, fall through the ice and drown. She realized that she knew where the story was going. I could do this, she thought. She read on 
and went to bed as usual. The next day she woke up and began writing her first novel. She said, I became a writer overnight. The image did not seem to be important in itself, but it handed her across that gap into a new life. The issue in Marlon's story is also about bringing curiosity to the whole range of experience, especially into situations that might seem alien or dangerous. Koans are meant to work in all conditions. We could assess this notion by testing it, uh, by testing it in a resolutely mundane environment that is also full of starving, of striving. Sorry, the California bar exam. The bar exam is a barrier that attorneys have to pass in order to practice in the state. Like a lot of professional examinations, it functions partially as a quality control and partially, perhaps mainly, as a guild requirement intended to keep people out. The exam takes place over three days. Law professors from great universities have been known to fail it, and it is the university's dreaded and it is universally dreaded. Rachel Howlett, an environmental attorney and Zen teacher, told me about taking the bar exam in Sacramento. The story, like Marlong's, shows the arc of practice and how we might get home when we seem lost. There are 800 people in the convention center, which has a concrete floor. The noise of the metal legs of chairs scraping is one of, of scraping is one of its main design features. In this dreamlike environment, a dreamlike figure appeared. During the exam, proctors checked, checked the photos at the desks periodically to prevent you switching yourself for someone more knowledgeable. The proctor for Ra Rachel's row was under five feet tall, an older black woman with blonde hair who announced solemnly, I bless everyone here in my row. Every one of you is going to pass. One of her friends heard about this and asked the proctor to bless him too. And she did. And he did pass <laughs> the exam. As the test went on day after day, some of the effects of being in a ret retreat set in. A person's foot, a staple in a sheet of paper, or a section of wall would strike Rachel in an unusually vivid and intimate way. Each object seemed perfect and absorbing. It vied for, for and held her attention. She would find herself in conversation with it, murmuring things like, I look at you, I'll look at you again later. Just now I have to do this exam. The thrushness of these things, too, was a call. Someone else want to read or you want me to finish the story? No, no. Let us let read. Yeah. There was a multiple choice section of the exam composed of fictional plaintiff versus defendant cases in which the plaintiffs. That's the one who is suing the plaintiff. Mm in which the plaintiffs all have names beginning with P and the defendants have names beginning with D. Dirk and Daisy and Devonish Mer, what? Mers. Mers. Are always mistreated, Paula and Penelope and Humpy. There are 1.8 1, 1. minutes to understand and answers to case and answer the case and then forget. And then forget it and begin the next one. Trugging along, along thought these cases, she found herself in a timeless place. There was no future or past. She had always been answering questions about Periwinkle and David. It wasn't difficult to do, and in fact, it was enjoyable as well as eternal. 
On the surface, there was turmoil and striving and trouble, but underneath, there was no problem at all. It turned out that she failed the bar on the first attempt, but passed on the second, like Mara Long remembering the song. The, pro the proctor's blessing came true eventually. And a sincere blessing is something to be accepted. It's a real blessing, no matter what the outcome. The final piece of this bar exam story is also about how to move across a gap. On her second attempt at the bar, Rachel was dressed up and ready to go, waiting until the last possible minute to stand in line with other anxious people, trying to manage her own anxiety, thinking, I wonder if I can get out of doing this. We take our minds for granted, imagining that they will behave themselves, but they don't. Can't be assumed that we, that what, that we will think and what we intend to think and don't, we don't always do what we tell ourselves to do. We might believe that we are our thoughts and our feelings, but our thoughts and feelings are objects in the world, just like tables and mirrors. We might have to negotiate with them at any time. Okay, uh, Nandia. In this case, Rachel looked in the mirror in her hotel room and noticed that she was not really seeing her own face. She wasn't present to her image. She couldn't quite feel her feet on the carpet or the wash basin under her hands. This, she decided, is not good. She felt close to her life, but not quite there. And not quite there didn't seem to be enough for the exam. Is it possible to wake myself up, she wondered. She tried to see what the extra piece of the situation was, but she couldn't. She picked up the toothpaste, looked at her reflection again. She noticed that she was trying to stave off her nervousness and she must have stopped opposing herself because suddenly she could see the gleam of the wash basin and feel the carpet under her feet and the cold air on her face. She was ready. The way she crossed the gap was to be curious, to wait with the conditions as they were and not to find fault with them. She couldn't wake herself up but she began to pay attention in a deeper way, and the waking up happened. It might be possible to find our song, our course of action, ourselves, in any situation. This finding <coughs> wouldn't depend on preset moves. It could be the wrong move that will save us. Here's an example of the way what is unlooked for and even impossible can change a situation. When someone dies, we usually think that the verdict is fixed. That's it for their participation in life. But the master songman was still ferrying songs into the world long after one knew who he was. So perhaps the verdict is not completely fixed after all. When my mother's ashes came back from the crematorium, my family spent a couple of days staring at the plastic box that held them. Then we took the box to the old cast iron bridge across the Tamar River. Both bridge and river had been continual companions to her life. I undid a surprising number of layers and poured the ashes into the water below. But this wasn't the end. Even after this, she kept changing. I noticed the change because the quality of her advice improved. When she was alive, her counsel seemed to be distorted by thoughts about what the neighbors might think, what her own parents had said, her view of her captivity to advise someone, her capacity to advise someone, the fears of the day. After running all through these, through all these pipes and tubes, my mother's advice came out a bit perturbed. And as a consequence, I don't remember consulting with her very often. Uh, 
After my mother died, though, I noticed I could say something to her and a surprisingly clear, immediate, immediate and satisfactory response could appear somewhere in my chest. She considered the most important thing, what might lead to happiness, how not to take things too seriously, how to care for others with a lighter touch. The riches that she had always possessed were more visible. She wasn't interested necessarily in the course that could lead to or tune or fame. I got the impression that things were turning out okay, that so far so good. Her thoughts were not quite advice, but more, more of a sure-footed sense of the flow of things. Marilyn went around from tiny place to tiny place, <clears throat> to little outback towns with a pub and a post office, to camps of bark lean-tos at river crossings. He would set up with his dance troupe and sing. Afterward, he would move on. Sometimes he painted houses for money. It seems to me a generous and consoling gesture to offer what you have without thought of how it will be noted or how it will be received or what return the universe will give. That's what the ghost, Balanjiri, did and the bird did too. There's a difference between singing under some eucalyptus trees at a river crossing in the Northern Territory and being on the stage at the Sydney Opera House. But we can't say that the difference is always in favor of the Sydney Opera House. What makes a human life real and beautiful is available in every place. An insubstantial and alienated life, eating a hearty breakfast of cardboard photo of a cardboard photo of cornflakes is always on offer, but its consolations are not consoling. In order to embrace a handmade life, you do have to be willing to deal with minion lights, along with awe and fear. But you have to deal with awe and fear anyway. And when you pay attention, a continual turning towards the genuine just happens. We can't say that human lives have a purpose since a purpose would be smaller than we are. It's true though, that the impulse to give freely to the world seems to be at the bottom of the well of human intentions where the purest and clearest water arises. To be able to offer back what the world has given you, but shaped a little by your touch, that makes a true life. Eventually we find our song and remember it and sing it. And we can never know who else will sing the song or how the story will turn out in the end. It ripples widen. Its ripples widen beyond us and there is no end in sight. Coda. <coughs> Poems are still appearing in the world. Marlung's account tells how koans might come about. A long dead master song man and a bird made a raid on the unknown. I've often imagined koans as, as vials of ancient life. In this image, when you get the vial open, the light shines out and everything you see shines too. You can also think about koans as conversations that come out of a dreamy, out of the place that art comes from that the universe is born from, and that is a bigger analogy. It gives a context for new koans and koans from different cultures. Knowledge that seems dead might be refreshed, and that knowledge might help the world's endangered greenness to return also. You don't even have to go looking for a koan, since there's no way to find it. 
it will find you. Notes. Nope, you got it. Good. But I'm wondering if we want to reread the koan. Serenity mm -hmm. saying no. Are you saying no, Serenity? Yeah. Anyone else? Or are you guys good well, with it? Well, you must have suggested it because you're suggesting it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you wish to hear it again? I'd love to hear it again. Who would read it? I don't mind reading it. Okay, thank you. The Master Songman, an Australian koan. In Aram land, a singer named Marlung was asleep one night. As he was dreaming, a master songman from long ago came to him and said, wake up, I have a song to teach you. So Marlung woke up and the master taught him the song. Then Marlung went back to sleep and forgot the song. The next day, a visitor said he would like to hear the song. So that night, Marlung dreamed again, and it happened the same way. The master came into his dream and woke him and taught him the song. And again, he fell asleep afterwards. But this time in the morning, he remembered the song. Now here is the question. Marlung knew the difference between dream and waking. So was the master song man really there or not? Why is that the question? Why do you, I, mean, I don't mean to be smart, but why do you think, or is, do you think it's not? I don't think that that's significant. Hmm. What would your question be? I don't have a question here. No, actually, I'm reading that last, that as um, not really being the question at all. Maybe, maybe just something he's writing to get us thinking, but. I think you have a good point now, the other. That's not really the question. Well, the question to me is more about the the difference between dreaming and waking and where the dreams come from and who's the real person. Is it the dreamer or the waker, the one awake? And I think there's something really important about listening. Are we listening? To our dreams? To the songs that were being taught. In our dreams. If that's where they show up. Yeah. I think there's an important piece having to do with that gap between dreaming and awakening and how to cross it. That to me is an important piece. So yesterday I um I sit with this group on Sunday morning and um I, I was talking with one of the folks there after the sit and there's a lot that's uh, changing in his life. He had his own business and he's recently uh, sold the business to somebody else. So uh, he still works there, but now he has a completely different role and he's thinking about moving to live closer to his daughter and his granddaughter. And that's sort of in flux. And there's just a lot that's sort of uh, a question mark in his life. And um, 
he really he really embodies this um allowing what needs to show up the space to show up but not sort of forcing his own hand and i think um I, I think that's um, that's sort of not so easy for us as humans to to allow that to to happen. And um, it was really interesting to listen to how he is relating to these changes in his life, but not trying to make something happen with it. Um, it seems to, um, this, this story, this koan really resonates a lot with what I was seeing him doing, which was sort of receiving what was happening and he's not passive in his life but he's not forcing some kind of knowing onto it kind of like he's, he's watching a movie of his life but not detached Right. Hmm. And he's in the movie. But not in control completely. I mean, he's having to deal with things as they change. Right. But are we ever in control? Really? But we uh, <laughs> we can think we are. I know, but we certainly can, and and it can lead us astray. That thinking. Yes, I, I, I I'm very good at that astraying. But if we're maybe not trying to control, but if we're floating down the river of life, if you want to put it, and we try to steer to keep in the center so we don't crash, that's a kind of control. Do we miss things if we do that? Or do we? Well, I think people have help. A responsibility, right? I mean, we're 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 not just standing there. Um, we have a certain responsibility in life. That uh, the fact that we're not in control doesn't absolve us of that. Who gives us the re the responsibility? What do you mean? Who gives us the responsibility? Well, you say we have a certain responsibility. Yes. Is that like self assigned, or do you? Is it part of our nature's nature? Is it just because you're on, you're alive? Yes. I think so. So could we talk a bit about our next book and how we want to proceed? Sure. Was that decided? So I, I think we, we've decided to do the, the koan book. It's called The Book of Serenity, and it's the, the Soto Zen kind of book of 100 koans. And... Um, 
luckily it's available as a PDF. So we'll all have, be able to have it in front of us rather than screen share. Can you send the link for that? Yes. Thank you. Um, and um, one of the questions is, so the costs are <laughs> like the first one is just four pages long, but um, the idea was we were going to find some other um, commentary on the, the koan by some contemporary author. Because these, these are also a little bit, well, very unlike John Tarrant and a little bit kind of cryptic and a little bit about the people. It's interesting, but it's not as poetic as what we've been reading. So it's about the people in the koan and who they were. What about what Len suggested the other time? I'm sorry. Um, can you talk a little bit? Wait, I'm hearing a lot of rumbling. How about now? Okay, it's fine. Um, Milad, would you be willing to talk a little bit about what you suggested the other time about how we interact with the koan? I just, uh, now I just remember, Nandia, I, I talked with uh, Nelda about this and this is what I remember but I think it's another idea that was how about we read the con and then we work with the con during the next week and in at the start of the reading instead of instead of starting reading the new con we bring the comments or whatever we worked with during the previous week. This is another idea about to work with the con for one week instead of 10 minutes. And I don't remember, Nandia, what I said. I said the last time to read and meditate and then write 10 minutes, I think. Mm -hmm. I, I know there was a, yeah. like a writing reflection component to what Oh, it was at the end. I don't remember if we did it at the end or at the beginning in the in other books. I think it was at the end. Kim? Yeah, um, it was about at eight o'clock. We would read until about eight o'clock and then we would do the 10 minute reflection and then we would share that reflection. Um, I like, I like uh, what you're saying and we could certainly do it because this has uh, quite a forward and an introduction. So um, we'd have plenty of <laughs> reading to do the first time. In fact, it's going to take us perhaps more than even one time. I don't to get through that. And it's a very informative introduction. So um, uh, so I'm willing to try anything. I like that idea. I understand. Um, our frustration at um, going from koan to koan and not having time to let it um, seep in. I have forgotten many koans that we read in this book. I probably remember three or maybe four. <laughs> so we were talking about that, that we were going and going. And uh, yeah, well, so we came with the idea about working for one whole week, but I don't know if people would like to do that. I. I do like the idea of work, working 10 minutes <laughs> also, but. So, so if we did that, it would seem that at the end, we would have to read the next koan to kind of put it into our dreams or bodies or whatever, right? So. Mm -hmm. So discuss it at the beginning, but just like 15 or 20 minutes. I mean, like a small time, not just like the whole time. At the end, you mean the, the next koan. 
Depends on what what dynamic you're talking about. Okay, so most of the time would be discussing the koan that we read last week, right? That's what you're suggesting. Uh, we we thought like twenty or you know like five minutes each person or something like that, like not the whole time, and then go to read and do the next dynamic. But I mean. We didn't figure out everything. It's just an idea. What do you think? I think it's good. Can you write it down? Mm -hmm. And then and then share it with us. And then so we'd be um, we're kind of the core group. And so but I think whenever we start on a new book, new people want to join. And Lori says that she's going to join, too. Um, so that would Christina be will be back. She's just not feeling well right now, but she will be back for the new one. Who? Christina. Oh, good. Uh, Starlet. Sorry. So what do you think, Nandia, about uh, this other idea that Nelda and I came with? Like to work the whole week with the coin and then start the session with let's say five minutes each person to talk about what they did at the with the con during the last week and then go and read the next con. I really like the idea of um sort of living with the con for a while um instead of just like a quick pop during our time together. Although you know both of them I like for for different reasons um so i mean i don't know about the five minute per person thing just maybe i don't have that much to say but um yeah i like living with it for a while I do like oh, the idea of writing about people it. People who are just dropping in, right? Mm. Well, we could also do reminders, and in the reminder, do the koan that we're working with. Mm. We could also, um, like the traditional way of studying koans, is not to read the commentary. So we could just have the koan that we're going to work with for the week and then read the commentary on that koan the next time. Such restraint. Uh, Nella suggested that actually, like do not unveil, you know, like what other teachers thought and then just work with the con for a week and then we, we can try several dynamics. Yes, I think that would be good. So by the time we get through 100, we'll get a good process. Maybe. I also like the idea of like reflecting in writing because sometimes mm -hmm. when I'm writing, it's um, a stream of consciousness in a different way than my thinking mind will allow me. Well, how about if if the new koan is read at the, at the end, and then we read it again at the beginning, and then we do writing, and then we do discussion, and then we um, read a commentary on that koan and then at the end we read the new koan i like that if there's enough time to do all that <laughs> i think there would be i mean unless we end up with a completely huge group which we also could um, yes but we're each 
you know, 10 minutes is 10 minutes, regardless of how many people are here, right? So, and yeah, I think that's an interesting, different way to look at it. We can always tweak it if we, you know, need to. What do you think, Serenity? You're muted. Um, I was wondering about the writing piece and if we, it might not be better to write on our own after reading it the first time and then bring it and share it. Well, my, my experience is that that doesn't happen. Someone, ah. someone would say, oh, I didn't do that. I'm more confident that it would happen if we were here. Okay. And someone who hadn't worked all week could still write because we'd be at least reading the koan again. Mm -hmm. I'll have to work on my deer in the headlight moments <laughs> when it comes to being called on to write something. It's like, oh no, right? <laughs> I do think that's a good way to um bring in people who might just be showing up who hadn't worked with it for the week it would be right. a little opportunity yeah. yeah okay yeah i like that too a lot so, so let, let yeah let's pass some ideas i'm going to put out tomorrow an announcement that you know our new book and i'll send the pdf Well, have a good week, everyone. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you all.